Amen. Amen. Good to see you all this morning. Good to have you here on this holiday weekend. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. While you're finding your place there, just want to make a couple of announcements. Last week we told you that uh, one of our own, Kathy Peach's book, The Tiniest Tumbleweed, was chosen to be part of the uh, cancer Children's Cancer Network uh, backpack. And I have one of these here today. And uh, we're going to give you the opportunity to make these backpacks available to children and their families that are going through a really hard time with cancer. Uh, and I think it's great that out of all the things that the Children's uh, Cancer Network could have chosen... And there's a lot of great things in here to encourage the family and and the child through that very difficult season of their life that one of the things was Kathy's book. Uh, And so if you are interested in uh, purchasing Kathy's book uh, for a child or a grandchild or a friend or a neighbor, I know she would be happy to talk with you about that. And we're going to give you the opportunity, like I said, to be part of this backpack uh, program and uh, in a couple weeks, uh, so we just wanted to bring that on your radar. If you have any questions about that, uh, Kathy's going to be out uh, there at the information table after the service is over, and you can talk with her about that. Also, for those of you that get the e-newsletter, I'm sure you've already seen that I don't do this very often, but I uh, wanted to give sort of a personal invitation to everyone at the Oasis, as well as any family and friends and neighbors and co-workers that, that you may uh, be able to invite to be with you next Sunday. Uh, the Lord laid a, uh, a special uh, sort of standalone message uh, on my heart that, that I just want as many folks as here as possible to hear it. And uh, it goes along with the rest of our series in Second Thessalonians. But anyway, that'll be next Sunday morning, 10 o'clock here in the auditorium. Uh, I'll be sharing that message, and then we'll get back into 2 Thessalonians the following week. Speaking of that, again, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning is where we're going to be. And I just want to look at the first three verses this morning. And I'd like you to follow along with me. I'd like to read these verses And then share the things that the Lord uh, impressed upon my heart with you today. Paul writes, Now regarding the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to be with Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily shaken from your composure or disturbed by any kind of spirit or message or letter allegedly from us. To the effect that the day of the Lord is already here. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not arrive until the rebellion comes and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. In these three verses, Paul is sharing with the church at Thessalonica two events that sort of put a frame around everything else that he talks about here. And the first sort of frame that he uses, the first thing that he references, is the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is reminding all of us that the king is coming. And the reason I use that terminology is because the word arrival in Paul's day spoke about a royal visit. Someone really important was coming. And there could be no one more important coming or arriving than the Lord Jesus Christ. The king is coming. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. In the book of Philippians, Paul tells us, That one day every knee will bow in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The King is coming. And Paul wanted the church to be aware and live, in a sense, in in appreciation of that fact at all times. But then Paul says this in verse 3. So you have the arrival. But then in verse 3, he talks about this, the rebellion. And he doesn't just say a rebellion. He says the rebellion. And so Paul says, yes, we have the fact that the king is coming. But we also have, before the Antichrist steps onto the world stage, an unprecedented uh, defection is coming. In fact, I believe, based upon what the scriptures teach about this, that we are living in the midst of this unprecedented defection from the faith and from the church. I believe that you and I are living in that day. And that's why Paul is writing this. One of the reasons why is because these Thessalonians have gotten some false teaching that they're already in the day of the Lord. That somehow, you know, they're there and, and the, the Antichrist is, is alive and well and all of this. And Paul like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, yes, the king is coming. And we always need to be ready for his return. But Paul says, make no mistake about it. That there is something that has to take place before the man of lawlessness, another description of the Antichrist, and we'll get more into that in a couple of weeks, before he is revealed. And Paul says, here's what has to happen first. This rebellion. And again, the word rebellion simply means a defection, a falling away from a previous standing. So the implication is that this rebellion is talking to people who at one time, they were this close to God, and now they've fallen away. They're, They're not where they once were. At one time, they, they occupied this standing, if you will, and now they're no longer there. They have defected. They have fallen away. And again, the reason this is separate from every other, you know, uh, defection or falling away throughout history, this is unprecedented. In its scope, in the quantity of people who will fall away in their defection from the faith. Now we know that the Bible has taught, even from the day that Jesus Christ was on earth, there's always been people who have defected and fallen away. In fact, I want to take a few minutes because I think this is important today. Keep your finger in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and go back with me first of all to the Gospel of John, to John's Gospel chapter 6. I want you to see that even when Jesus 
was here. Jesus experienced in his own personal ministry a falling away, if you will, a defection from people who at one time were following him closely. We read about this in John's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 66, which I don't know whether that's, you know, by accident or whatever, but 666, you know, type of thing. Um, But anyway, in John 6, verse 66, right after this great discourse of Jesus on him being the bread of life and how men and women need to partake of him, here's what the Bible says. After this, many of his disciples, now obviously not the twelve, we're talking about just those who said, I want to follow you, Jesus, You know, I I want to be a follower. He says, after this, many of his disciples quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. See, even with Jesus, there was a falling away. Even with Jesus, there was a defection. There were people at one time who followed him closely, who had a standing with Jesus But they got to a point where the things that he kept on saying started to turn them off more and more. And they didn't want to hear it. And they didn't want to follow him any longer. And so they fell away from following Jesus. In Paul's day, we read about a defection and falling away. Turn with me to the book of Galatians, if you will, in the New Testament. The book of Galatians and look at chapter 1. Paul's writing to these churches in the region of Galatia. And beginning in verse 6 of chapter 1, look at what Paul says. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are following a different gospel. Not that there really is another gospel, but there are some who are disturbing you and wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be condemned to hell. Pretty strong words, right? And Paul goes on to say, as we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let him be condemned to hell. Paul says, I can't believe it. It's only been a very short time since we were there and we established these churches and we we got pastors to fill those positions and we got leadership in the church and the church began to grow and thrive and now all of a sudden there are many of you who are so quickly deserting the faith and you're, you're following another gospel which really isn't another gospel, Paul says. So again, in Jesus' day, there was a defection, a falling away of his followers. In Paul's day, in the church, there were people who were always defected. And that's been the case for the last 2,000 years. But the rebellion that Paul is referencing here in 2 Thessalonians, the one that I believe we are in the midst of right now, in this day and age that we see even in the church amongst those who claim to be Christians, is un. Unprecedented. And let me share with you some New Testament scriptures about this unprecedented rebellion. Turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy 
if you will. The book that's just past 2 Thessalonians. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, listen to what Paul says. He says, now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in the latter times, the time before the Antichrist is revealed on earth, the time before the day of the Lord and the return of the King, some will desert the faith and occupy themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. See, anything that isn't of the truth has its ultimate source in devilish and demonic sources. So a lot of Christians, well, I'd never follow a demonic teaching. Well, if it doesn't line up with the truth of God's word, it automatically falls into that category. See, the, the Bible teaches there's only two sources of information that flow into our lives. And, and those sources can be either traced back ultimately to God as its source or the devil as its source. That, that's the only two sources. So if I'm not willing to receive the truth of God, I automatically open myself up to other deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. Then in 2 Timothy, if you'll go over just another book, look at chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, where Paul says this, Understand this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And Paul begins to list why the days are difficult. And notice where he goes with this. It is due to the lack of character, or maybe I should say it this way, to the immoral character of people on earth in the last days. Now, obviously, human beings have always had trouble with character and integrity and all that. But again, Paul is saying this, that because of the way the world is going and because of even those who profess to be Christians are falling away more and more from the faith and from the church and from the truth of God's word, it's going to create an even more challenging environment with which to live. Why? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, savage, opposed to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. They will maintain the outward appearance of religion. In other words, people will try to portray themselves as religious, spiritual people. But Paul says, here's where the problem is. He says, they have no power in their lives. They, they are powerless to deal with life because there is no real spiritual power. It's all a surface thing. It's all a sham. There's no real spiritual reality pulsating through their life. They have no spiritual power. And it shows up in their life every day. And then if you'll turn to one more, over another chapter to 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul is trying to encourage this young pastor who is becoming discouraged even 2,000 years ago because of the condition of the church and the way people were falling away and defecting from, from listening to the truth of God's word, Paul says this to this young pastor. He says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus 
who is going to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the message. Be ready whether it is convenient or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. Why? For there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. And notice verse 4, and they will turn away from hearing the truth. Falling away. Defecting. Folks, we are living in that age today. Let me just have a short, very frank conversation with those of you here this morning at the Oasis. We've had a lot of people pass through our church in the last six years since we started. And they'll come through and they'll move on and go somewhere else. And it's not that they'll even stay where they get to there very long and they'll end up going somewhere else. And part of the problem is today we have even amongst Christians, this Christian culture where Christians don't even understand the local church enough to even know what they're looking for when they find it. So that's why it's like they don't even know what church they're looking for. They don't even know what church they should or whatever to be a part of because they don't even understand the very basics of the biblical teaching on the church. So as you and I have conversation with them, it's like, what are you looking for? And if you, if you ask them questions like that, they'll always come up with a lot of non-biblical answers of what they're looking for. I'm looking for a program for my kids or a program for my teenager. I'm looking for this and that. And yet they're not really giving biblical answers to the kind of church that they should be looking because they don't even know themselves. And that's why it's very hard for them to land anywhere and stick anywhere for a long time and stay anywhere because they don't even know what they're looking for. Which then leads me to this. Several people have said, well, you know, Jeff, when, when, when you finally you guys get that building built over there and stuff, man, people are going to hear about it and, and they're going to flock to the oasis and you're going to grow. And I'm not saying that we're not going to grow maybe a, a little bit. But I'm just going to be very honest with you. I don't think a church like ours, in the environment with which we are at in this world today, even amongst the Christian culture, is ever going to grow that much. Because our church, the way we do church, is not going to ever appeal to the masses. The majority of even those who profess to be Christians today really don't want to week in, week out, hear the truth. They want to be entertained. They want their ears tickled. They want to be told that everything's okay. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They don't want to change, really. They want to continue to live their lives the way they want to, with the priorities that they have, doing what they want to do, and sort of just let God out here somewhere on the side as part of their life. The problem is with that kind of mindset, 
And we even sung about it and worshipped about it. Our God is not a God who calls any of us to worship Him along with so many other things. When our God called us as His followers to worship Him, it is exclusive worship. It is to, to mean that we are to worship God alone and nothing else. He alone is to be worshipped. There is nothing in our lives that is deserving of worship except the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you and I bow down or worship anything else or put, put anything in place of God, that's not the way worship is supposed to be. God is to receive highest priority. And so that's why I just sort of put a smile on my face And just say, well, we'll see. When someone says, oh, you know, you guys will grow and there'll be all these people flooding in. No, I personally don't think so. I I think, again, that we're living in a day and age where there is a remnant and there will always be a remnant of those who are really serious about their spiritual life. And they're never going to be satisfied or complacent with where they are spiritually. And they're really interested in spiritual growth and maturity above everything else. And they're willing to be part of a church like ours where week in, week out, they're hearing the truth. But folks, we are living in a day and age where I believe that that continues to, that the number of those people, even amongst Christians who are there, continues to diminish and become fewer And fewer and fewer. Because if God's word is true, God says many, many will turn away from hearing the truth. And that word doesn't speak about a small little number. It speaks about a great quantity of people. So if God's word is to be true, then here's what we have to come to grips with. Yes, the king is coming. But before he comes, there's this great, unprecedented defection within the Christian community. So with that knowledge, what's Paul then say based on that to those who are really interested in hearing the truth? Back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The first thing, and I'm going to go back a couple weeks because I just want to mention these and then sweep into the couple things for this week, is this. I think back in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul is saying that based upon this, we as Christians must begin to take our responsibility of being his body, the church, seriously. We got to get serious about this. This is not the time to be playing games spiritually. Which is why Paul talks about in chapter 1 verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians, us being made worthy of the kingdom of God. Where even Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these other things will fall into their proper place. Are we really getting serious about our responsibility as the people of God? You see, in this day and age in which we live. And then last week we said, are we in chapter one, verse 11, fulfilling his calling in our life? We talked last week about the fact that every believer has a calling upon their life. 
some part that God wants us to play within his body, the church. And so part of what we need to do, too, is not only get serious about our responsibility as the church, but we need to begin fulfilling his calling in our life. And then as we move into chapter two this morning, the next thing Paul says is we got to stay together. We, as God's people who are really in it to win it, if you will, using that terminology, we've got to stay together. I get that because in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul says, Now regarding the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to be with Him. Though that phrase, being gathered to be with Him, speaks about literally being assembled together or gathered together to worship Jesus. And see, Paul's saying, when Jesus arrives, guess what we're going to do? God is going to call all the believers together, and we're going to come together, and we're going to worship Jesus. Now, the reason why I say that translates to today is that very same word or concept of being gathered or assembled together is exactly the definition of the church today. It's what we're supposed to be continuously doing now. We're not supposed to wait till the arrival of Jesus and then go, all right, my priority is to get together with my brothers and sisters in Christ and to come together to worship him. No, I need to begin to do that now because we need to stick together. If we ever needed each other and needed to be encouraged and refreshed and comforted and exhorted by each other, it's the day and age in which we live because we are living in the midst of the rebellion in history where more and more people are defecting and falling away from the faith. If we ever needed that constant encouragement, it's now now's not the time to live out there on our own. Now's the time for the church to come together and gather together and assemble together. In fact, Paul talks about this. Or excuse me, I shouldn't say Paul because I don't even believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I'm just so used to saying Paul because he did write the majority of the New Testament. But if you go over with me real quick to the book of Hebrews, to chapter 10... Look at verses 24 and 25 of chapter 10. By the way, there are good people that believe that Paul did write the book of Hebrews, and it's not something that I would be dogmatic or argumentative about, but I personally have a different take on the authorship of Hebrews. Notice what the author says in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us, speaking to the church, take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works, not abandoning our own meetings. The word abandon means to desert or forsake one another. Paul's saying, you realize if if we don't make it a priority and a value for us as Christians to get together, it's literally like a soldier deserting or forsaking their post. Because we're responsible for each other, you see. And the, the words our own meetings is that Greek word that Paul used about 2 Thessalonians about being gathered or assembled together to worship Jesus. Same word here, just translated different in English in Hebrews 10, 24. The word means gathering or assembling together. And I love this. It comes from a word in the Greek that literally means a complete collection. And I thought about that. I thought even in the six years, because this, this never happens. In the six year history of the Oasis, there's never even been a Sunday where I or you could look out on those that were assembled and gathered there and go, you know what? We have a complete collection today. Everybody who calls the Oasis their church home or who could be here is here. 
wouldn't it be great at least one Sunday before the Lord came that, that we could look out and go, everybody's here this Sunday. Nobody's missing. A complete collection. That'd be awesome, but probably never going to happen because there's always something to prevent the complete collection of the body at any one time. I guess that's going to be one of the joys that we experience in heaven that we never will here on earth. But then he goes on to say this, not abandoning our own meetings as some are in the habit of doing. By the way, the word habit speaks about a customary behavior based on value. So Paul's saying, look, you and I form our habits, the things that are customary in our life, based upon our value. And if we really valued the body and being part of it, we would make it a habit to be here. That's what Paul's saying. But he says, even in his day, some have never formed that habit, you see. Then he goes on to say, but encouraging each other. And the word encourage simply means to strengthen someone else from close beside them. You and I can't encourage each other from a distance. Not biblically, not not like God wants us to. We have to be able to be close to each other to encourage it. Rub shoulders with each other. Put our arms around each other. Pray for each other. Look into each other's eyes. Speak with each other. This is what it means to encourage each other. And then notice this last phrase. Very important. Based on the context of 2 Thessalonians and what we're talking about. Then, then the author says this. And even more so. In other words, we as Christians should realize that the day and age in which we live is even more difficult for us, more challenging. Therefore, it should even be a higher priority to a greater degree because you see the day drawing near, the day of the Lord, the the same day that Paul's talking about in 2 Thessalonians 2. Paul says, if we realize the world in which we're living and we know things keep getting worse and worse, they're not getting better, And we know that it becomes more and more of a challenge for us as Christians to live out our faith. Then shouldn't we realize just by common sense, we need each other more and more because we're not going to get encouraged out there in the world. There's not going to be people who don't believe in Jesus and aren't committed to Jesus who are going to pat us on the back. and say, Yeah, you keep following Jesus and and you keep reading that Bible and, and you keep going to church and getting involved in serving the Lord. You're not going to get that. The only place you're probably going to get that is to be around some healthy brothers and sisters in Christ who are going after the same things that you are. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. And I think that's what Paul's saying when he reminds them that when the Lord arrives, we are going to be assembled and gathered together for worship of him. But we ought to even start staying together and getting together now. And as the author of Hebrews says, even more so as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Then notice verse 2, back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The next thing we need to do is stay composed. Paul says, don't be so easily shaken. And don't be, verse 2, so easily disturbed. The words speak about being unsettled, alarmed, troubled. I'll use a modern term, freaking out. Paul says, no follower of Christ, 
No matter what day and age we live in, no matter how bad things seem to be in the world, should ever lose our composure, our calm and confident faith in God. Because we either believe that God is still on the throne and He's still in control and everything that's happening in this world is just moving towards His ultimate prophecy of how things are going to end or we believe that there is no God or God has lost control and everything is just in chaos and there is no rhyme or reason to anything and we're just a pawn in this big ugly game Paul is saying no we, we got to stop being like the rest of the world if we're a follower of Jesus Christ and begin letting all the things that are happening unsettle us and cause agitation and alarm as if somehow we're not connected to God, God's no longer in control, God's not on the throne, and and we don't know what's going to happen. No, God calls us to confident expectation of Him. Do we trust Him or don't we? And so that's why Paul says... Don't be so easily shaken from your composure or disturbed by any kind of spirit, even an invisible influence in your life or message or letter even from us. Doesn't matter how it comes to us. Paul says, don't fall for it. Don't let what you are hearing and seeing keep you from being composed. You see. And then finally, I think Paul says, we've not only got to stay together and stay composed, we've got to stay grounded. We've got to make it a priority to root ourselves and ground ourselves in the truth of God's Word. That's the only way we will not fall away And defect from the faith. And listen, there's never been a true Christian in the history of the church who said, yeah, I'm probably going to fall away or or there's even a chance of me falling. And even those who have fallen away would never realize they've fallen away. That's the whole idea. They're deceived. They're following something that they think is good and they don't realize they've been duped. The, The whole idea behind deception is you don't realize you've been deceived. That's why it's even hard to talk to other Christians who are out there and aren't in a good place spiritually because they don't even realize they're not in a good place. They don't even know what they're missing because they've been deceived because there was never a time in their life where they either were personally discipled or they they made a priority to dig into the word of God themselves and get grounded. And and especially they're, they're not part of a church where they're truly hearing the truth enough to get grounded. And therefore... Like any of us in that position, we are open to being deceived. But notice what Paul says in verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not arrive until the rebellion comes and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. More than ever, we need to be grounded. Because the Bible teaches that in the last days, Part of what also is causing, if you will, this unprecedented defection and falling away within the faith 
is that there's even more false teaching and more false teachers and more misinformation and more misrepresentation of God than ever before, which is why it behooves every follower of Christ to know what we believe and why we believe it. Because if you don't even know why you believe it, then somebody can come into your life and talk you out of it and get you going down a bad pathway that leads to pain rather than to prosperity spiritually in a good place. We've got to know what we believe and why we believe it, which is why, again, I am so passionate about the ministry of our church because it's not that we are the only answer. Please hear me. The Oasis Church is not the only answer, but we can at least be part of the answer. A church like ours that focuses on getting people grounded in the truth is huge today. And why I am so anxious to get to that other place is because I believe that we will be able to offer classes and open up the Oasis Bible Institute and we will be able to offer to people in our community at least the opportunity. Do you want to be grounded? Then come here. We'll help you with that. But right now, we're limited in that. We're trying to do our best with the facilities and the the place we're at, but we want to do more because we need to do more. Because there are so many people out there today who are falling away. They are defecting. At one time, they had a standing with God, but they have it no longer. And I think Paul is trying to rally the troops. Even 2,000 years ago, he sees it coming. And he is saying, if you're part of the church, his body, let's begin taking our responsibilities seriously. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, follow his calling in your life. Stay together with one another. Stay composed and stay grounded. This is what we need in the day and age in which we live. One day... Many years ago, Daniel had three friends. And these three friends were told that they had to bow to a false god. And the three friends stood and said, we're not going to bow. We're not going to bow to anything or anyone other than our God. Because there's only one God true God. And there's only one God who's deserving of worship. That's our God. So we won't bow. For you and I, we have a choice every day. We can either say, God, you are the only true God. Your way is the only right way. And if we're going to bow and we're going to worship, we're simply going to bow to you alone. And we're going to submit and surrender ourselves to your word. And we're going to give your word authority over our life. We will bow to you, but we will not bow to anything or anyone else. Because nothing else or no one else is deserving of worship. You and you alone are worthy. What are we bowing to? What are we worshiping? I think God is saying it's time for the church 
to bow down, but to bow down to the one true God. Let's stand. And let's sing this song, We Bow Down from our heart today to the Lord. Let's make a commitment today and say, God, even in the day and age in which we live, when the world is saying, bow down to this, worship this, we as the followers of Jesus Christ will stand like the three friends of Daniel and say, we will not bow or worship anything or anyone else. We will bow only to you, God. You're the only one we bow to. You're the only one we will worship. Let's make that commitment today as we sing this song.